this is a Maxwell, and you are here with a Medicine Podcast. It is so fantastic to walk around the hospital with all of you. It's getting cold out there. Get your bunkies, man, or whatever the phrase was. I can't quote Groundhog Day, uh, you know, all that well. But, uh, your booties, your booties, that's the line. It is cold out there in the tri-state area. I know a lot of you, uh, some of you are not. Uh, uh, in the Tri-State area as you listen to uh, to us, but we are so very thankful that you have tuned in and have gathered around the hot stove to talk a little Mets baseball. And without further ado, I will bring on my partners in crime, starting with Mike LeColant in Bensonhurst. What's going on, Mike? I'm well. I'm here. Uh, I like the cold weather. I don't know about you guys, but I'm enjoying this. What's up? Rich. Rich Farago of Connecticut, Milford, Connecticut, specifically. What, what is your deal with the uh, the cold? How, how do you like it? I actually like it, Sam. Um, I went to a college football game yesterday. Sat, it was happened to be one of the longest games in the history of mankind, but uh, but it was a four hour long <laughs> game, and I sat out there in the howling wind and you know thirty eight degree temperatures, and. While it was a bit uncomfortable the entire time, I'm saying to myself, I'd much prefer this than a 95 humid day. So I'm with Mike. I prefer the cold. Well, and it just reminds me of something we were talking right beforehand uh, about Howie Rose. Howie's always going on about how that 95 humid day is exactly what he needs. What's summer for, as he would say. Uh, but but I'll tell you, you know, that four-hour game, that's pretty long, but that's got nothing on playoff baseball these days. My gosh. There's some long games in uh, in the playoffs. I, I was we were we were talking about it at some point, and this is a little bit of a digression. But we were talking about how a 14 hour a four a 14 inning game in 1916 took two hours and five minutes to <laughs> to uh, to complete, and yet uh, we we have to sit through a seven hour game these days when they go deep into the extra innings. But without further ado, we're going to talk about the Mets going on even though it's also rather quiet on the free agents and trade front, but they've been kind of getting their eggs in one basket. They've been trying to uh, sort some, some front office stuff out, some coaching stuff out. Uh, Mike, I'll go to you first about all of this, uh, since you kind of gathered a lot of information together for me. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Pat Rossler is out as hitting coach, which I think was a, a smart move. I, I, I you know, it's, we always kind of debate as to exactly what a role uh, a coach uh, other than the manager can have. But I think in this particular instance, uh, it, it, it was certainly waning his, uh, his influence on the, uh, the Mets roster, the Mets hitting roster. Uh, I, you know, I think hitting coaches have a casualty rate right up there with lieutenants back in Vietnam. Happy Veterans Day to everyone who has served who's still serving and who still finds themselves in harm's way, God bless you. Uh, Pat Rossler, uh, yeah, he's out, you know, who uh, replaces him remains to be seen. Uh, but, again, you know, hitting coaches, how often do we talk about them? Uh, perhaps sometimes they get too much credit. Perhaps sometimes they get too much blame. Uh, but in the Mets case, uh, it's a good move. Uh, it's an excellent move. Uh, they need a, a radical departure uh, from what they've been doing. Uh, and, and that, you know, goes down to, you know, laying down a bunt. We know that, don't we, Rich? 
Uh, and, and another minor move, Ricky Bonus got reassigned within the organization. He was the bullpen coach, former pitcher. Uh, I remember him as a Milwaukee Brewer, uh, but uh, he's been with the organization for quite some time. I'm glad to see Mets retaining him, uh, albeit reassigned. So those are the coaching moves. Yeah, and uh, a front office move that happened, Rich, is J.P. Ricciardi has uh, has parted ways. It sounded like it was pretty amicable and and um, mutual, but who knows in these uh, particular instances? Everything is is uh, uh, framed a certain way. And I, you know, with with the change of the guard, I I think considering he was a Sandy guy, it, it totally makes sense. It does, and. Um... You know, you never know what what their motivations are, right? I mean, when Ricciardi and um, and Omar accepted roles in the organization, you have to ask yourself: Are they pining? These are former GMs now. Are they pining for a GM role, sitting there, you know, saying, "Okay, look, I'll learn the organization, wait for my day to come, and hopefully I'm, I'm a candidate," or? Are they saying, look, you know, I've been a GM, I love the game, I don't want that responsibility anymore, I'm completely content being an assistant. I'm going to lean on the fact that Ricciardi was in the former camp, you know, probably looking to be a GM again. And when this opportunity passed him by, he's like, okay, I'm out. You know, I, I, I did my work here. I was told I wasn't a candidate. They hired somebody else. And so I'm, I'm going to move on. Omar, the exact opposite. Omar clearly – Maybe he wanted me to, maybe he didn't, but he's clearly accepting of his role as an assistant to Brody, uh, probably with a very specific role. And um, and great. You know, Omar's happy with it. Ricciardi wasn't. So, okay. You know, these are two guys who are differently motivated, and when they didn't become GMs, they acted differently. And, and like I said, I think that's completely okay. You know, I, I'm going to roll with this right now with the Omar part. Um, I And I, I'd forgotten – how bad he was at certain things until I saw a tweet uh, uh, reminiscing about the Adam Rubin incident. And I think that, that we can all agree that scouting was never an issue with Omar Minaya. He might not have scouted the free agents properly, but that might be a whole other conversation regarding him and the Wilpons. Um, I, I, I do think, Mike, that uh, there is a role to be had for Omar Minaya in this organization. And like Rich said, he's very accepting. He seems to be very accepting of his position. And it might also have to do with the fact that he kind of loves this organization. Uh, yeah, yeah it might be both. It might be both, absolutely. Uh, look, Omar has his thumbprints all over that 2015 National League pennant. So uh, if he wants, if he if he's happy in in this limited capacity, more power to him. Uh, and I'm glad to have him. Uh, he's good at what he does uh, with regards to minor league development. So if that's what he's into and that's what he wants to do and that's what uh, Brody will allow him to specialize in, uh, I'm okay with that. And uh, we're let's move over to some. Uh, news on the the Cy Young finalist front. I think you know they they've decided to drum up some of the press about all these awards uh, a, a little bit more lately. And it, I you know I, I think it's it's a debate of whether or not we like it. You know I, I think there's just so much branding and so much uh, so much of that type of, of of thing, that type of PR going on in the game, and as well as everybody in, in the world these days 
um, that it, it kind of seems like a formality, Rich, to announce exactly who we knew would be the three finalists, and I think it's going to be a formality leading up to who it sounds like is going to be the, the Cy Young Award winner. Yeah, you know, I don't remember that at all, announcing finalists. Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, the, the Mets had a signing award winner, you know, after the 2012 season and R.A. Dickey, but I don't remember some announcement that said, you know, it's R.A. Dickey, this guy, and this guy are the three finalists. I, I, maybe that's something new. I'm, I'm thinking it is. And, you know, and like you said, Sam, it, it's a way to get the noise level up, get the interest up. Um you know, talk about the awards before they happen. Um, I'm okay with that. It's a way to keep the game, you know, in people's the forefront of people's minds in the off season. Um, and like you said, no big, uh, no big surprise, right? If it's going to be uh, Nola Scherzer and Jake, and uh, that those are three finalists. But okay, you know, I think we all know that baseball, as wonderful as it is has this problem marketing itself. You know, it's probably the worst sport at, at self-promotion. Um, and so if this is something you want to do to, you know, to keep the noise level up, go for it. Yeah, I uh, totally agree about that. Uh, yeah, there was no no surprise there. Um, again, I, I always just keep going back to how overrated Scherzer is. I mean, you know, how overrated can you be when you have a 240-something or 267 ERA? But it's that it's that home run home runs allowed number that just keeps just just glaring in in my face. Jacob Degrom gave up, I believe it was ten home runs. I obviously don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe that it was only about ten home runs. I don't know what Nola's numbers are, Mike, but that is a remarkable number, and it almost seems rather large for the uh, the fact that he was just so dominant all year. And that's the thing, from start to finish, you know, from start to finish, I, I think he was uh, the best pitcher in the National League. Uh, Scherzer tells off. I don't think he's overrated. I, I, I just think, uh, you know, his reputation precedes him. Uh, and he's going to go, he's eventually going to wind up in the Hall of Fame. That, that, that's fine. This year, though, uh, he just falls, you know, he's in second place behind the ground. I'll leave it at that. I mean, DeGrom was just dominant from start to finish. He ended strong. Uh, and the same can't be said of Scherzer and, and Nola season. Just not as good as DeGrom's. I'm not going to overcomplicate it. Yeah, uh, agreed. So I'm I'm looking very forward to, to hearing uh, Jacob DeGrom's name and, and the Cy Young Award presented next year at, uh, at a Mets game at City Field. Um, let's talk a little Arizona Fall League, guys. Uh, we got the, the the buzz right now for Pete Alonso is major. Um, and I will uh, yield the floor back to you, Mike, uh, first and foremost, regarding the minor leagues and the Arizona Fall League. Um, Pete Alonso is third in RBI. And before we talk about anybody else, it, it sounds as if uh, uh, he's going to get – quite the, the opportunity to be the first baseman for the New York Mets next year, according to Brody Von Wagenden. He did indeed pay him a visit out in Arizona. Uh, Peter Alonzo is indeed having uh, a, a good Arizona Fall League uh, go of it. Uh, like you say, he is third in the league right now with 18 RBIs. The leader has 30, the second place 
uh, player has uh, 19 RBIs. So there you go. Slide him put Peter Alonso third. He also has five home runs, which at quick glance, I believe, leads the Arizona Fall League. Now, this is his reputation. He's a good slugger. Uh, but uh, his hitting tailed off considerably once he hit the AAA level, although his slugging stayed right where it was, and that seems to be the case again uh, playing in Scottsdale. Uh, he's batting two twenty one, and I, I know people are trying to minimize batting average these days, but it is what it is. His on-base percentage is three oh six, but his slugging is up around four forty two. Uh, and compare that to his minor league numbers where he's been a 500 and above slugger, you know, he, he's he's staying par uh, with respect to power. Uh, and as you say, and, and alluded to, uh, Brody Van Wagenen did pay him a visit and I guess had this conversation that he's going to be in the mix and he's going to be in spring, tra- in spring training and will have uh, more than a fair shot to win the first base position, I guess. Uh, but there's there's adjustments that he needs to make as a hitter. Uh, you know, home runs aren't anything. Uh, you know, I, this conversation I, it just cracks me up because Dave Kingman would be making thirty five million dollars a year these these, these days. Uh, so, <laughs> but it is what it is. I mean, Peter Alonso is a good person to have. It's a good problem to have. You know, and uh, whether we utilize him uh, on you know City Field diamond or. Uh, utilize him in a trade, it, it's a good situation to be in. And uh, he's a good, promising player, without a doubt. The power speaks for itself. Dave Kingman's attitude would be so just, just like, the, the outrage culture would be so on him for, like, laughing at a kid whose autographed baseball fell in the mud. I forget where I heard that story. But, but you know, anytime I think about Dave Kingman – and and how uneven of a baseball player he was, uh, and and Rich, I'll send it over to you about P. Alonzo after this. And if you want to carry on David Kingman, by all means. But I always think about that story about how much of a of a tool he was to uh, to a little child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had forgotten about that one. You know, Kingman was very polarizing, and I remember uh, Mike. You probably remember this when. He, I believe it's when he got to Chicago, and he got there with a reputation, because he had played for the Giants and the Mets before that, and he got to Chicago with a reputation of being, you know, kind of a tool, kind of a jerk, and he had a horrific relationship with the New York media when he was in New York the first time, and so I remember he gave all the Chicago writers a cross pen when he got there. Cross was a big deal at the time. And and he basically said, here are some pens, and don't use them to write bad stuff about me. And so that's the kind of guy he was. I mean, he knew he had a bad reputation, and he just felt that that was an appropriate thing to do, you know, to try to – he was trying to artificially smooth out his reputation instead of just being a good guy. And, and in the second <laughs> go-round with the Mets – right, right, but that's what it is, right? And in the second go-round with the Mets – he, um, you know, apparently said to Keith Hernandez the day Hernandez was, was traded to the Mets and, and Kingman had been playing first base, he said, thank you, Keith, for getting here. You're my ticket out of here. And, um, you know, and, and he um, he just was not a good guy and, and no, not very friendly with the media, not very friendly with, with kids and families and all that stuff. So, 
But anyway, so about Peter Alonso, um, you, you know, if he's not used his trade bait, then he deserves a shot to be the first baseman, like Mike was saying. I mean, he does some things very well. You know, he slugs well. He, he seems to slug at every level and, and even in the fall league. Um, you know, his batting average is really not horrible. Like, he's not Dave Kingman with a two twenty batting average. Um, so he does have some very solid aspects of his game. From what I understand, he's still not a uh, Keith Hernandez at first base, but he's working hard on his defense and has made it acceptable. So, you know, the Mets have a decision to make even before spring training. If he, by playing in the fall league and has demonstrated his value to other teams and the Mets want to go in a different direction and, you know, compete in 2019, as they talk about, maybe he's trade bait. You know, maybe he's someone who, great, you're having a great fall. You know, we're looking to compete in 2019. Maybe we'll turn him around to a a team that's truly rebuilding. So we'll see. We'll see if he makes it to spring training in a Mets uniform and if he does. Well, then, sure, he should be given every shot to win the first base shot. Mike, how much stock should we put in the Arizona Fall League, uh, number one? And number two, are there any other notables uh, of, of, of the Mets farm system that, are being, that have been playing in the, the Arizona Fall League? I think the Arizona Fall League is a great barometer of talent. You know, basically what you have is uh, a gathering of baseball's top 100 prospects. Split them up, you know. Split amongst teams, and there they go for a short season. Uh, it, it's good for them. It's a good showcase. Uh, it, it's, it's great experience, and there's been a lot of great stories that came out of it. Uh, the Mets all, also have an infielder shortstop, Andres Jimenez. Uh, he got a touch of Double A last season. Uh, he batted in the 270s for them. Uh, he's an up and comer, and uh, Desmond Lindsay, an outfielder who. Uh, touched uh, uh, Port St. Lucie last season. I remember seeing him with Brooklyn. Uh, he's an up-and-comer. So, you know, the future remains to be seen, but we also have four pitchers involved who really, you know, nobody's really going to know who they are unless you're a real, 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 real rat. And uh, we have a catcher, Ali Sanchez, involved. So uh, that's about the extent of the Mets' participation. Go back to your original question. Uh, no, the Arizona Fall League is a, is a is a is a great little circuit, uh, and like I said, it, it's usually comprised of uh, major leagues' top uh, prospective talent. Speaking of what you can maybe even still group into uh, prospective talents, Rich, and it really pains me that that uh, Met fans, a lot of Met fans, don't have any patience because Ahmed Rosario, he's still very much. Uh, could be a star player, and I really believe he's going to be. He hit a monster home run uh, out in the Japan Major League All-Star Series. That Glad you brought was that just it, it, it was it was it was quite a sight. Yeah, Mike, and and, and um, I, I think he's such a good example of how you know it, it, it's. A lot of the symptoms of the Mets might also be self-inflicted from the fan perspective, because and and this is what I did appreciate about Sandy Alderson in that he wasn't, uh, um, he he was he was basically immune to the the chatter, and and he didn't really let the back pages get to him like like so many executives who came in there and tried to compete with the Yankees, 
And and that was that that I have to give him props, even though there's certain things that fell apart about his game. Uh, I I have to really give Sandy props for that, and and the way he was able to uh, limit his uh, care of the noise. And, and and with Rosario, you know, I believe that that he could seriously have he could really have some power if he doesn't like he did last year when he hit his first home run, keeps trying to swing for the fences. Well, you know, with Rosario, you have to recognize how young this kid is, right? He's 22 years old. He's had one and a quarter seasons or one and a third seasons in the major league. So last year, he put up the following. He put up a 256 average, which I have no problem with for a guy as young as he is. 256 average. He stole 24 bases, right? He was caught... 11 times, that's, that's a little high, but still t- stole 24 bases. He had nine home runs, and he had, defensively, he has the propensity for the outstanding play and the propensity for the occasional brain cramp as well. So, But he's 22 years old with a season and a third in the major leagues. You know, I don't know when it happened, Mike, but when you and I were kids, we gave guys three or four years in the major leagues before we really made an evaluation. We, we evaluate these guys after two days now because, you know, we're an impatient society, right? But, um, but Rosario, when you look at what he did and the talent he has, and Sam, to your point, what we're seeing on TV in J- from Japan, he had a game where he almost hit for the cycle. He had a triple, he had a home run. I believe he also had a double. He just didn't get the single. Um, you know, the Mets have something in this guy. Does he swing at pitches out of the strike zone? Absolutely. Does he swing from his ass, you know, a little too often? Absolutely. But I go back to my previous point. He's 22. Look at the talent. Look what he's done at this young age. And look at the ability this kid has. The Mets absolutely have something in this guy. And I, for one, am really looking forward to watching him him develop. Mike, what's the second baseman for Houston's name? Houston? I'm spacing on his name. Yeah, well, I'm spacing on his name. What's what's his name? Uh, the second baseman. You got me I spacing, it's too. You put, you put me on the Altuve. spot. I can't even. Altuve, yeah. Rich? <laughs> Altuve. How quickly, how quickly would we have called – how quickly would the Mets fans, Mets Twitter, have called Altuve a bust during the 100-loss season? Oh, interesting. Interesting. <clears throat> I'll say this much. <clears throat> excuse me, about the handling of Ahmed Rosario. It's one of the few instances where the Mets actually did did it right, handled them correctly. You know, they brought him up through the ranks. Now, we can debate whether they brought him up too early, whatnot, blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is that they brought him up through the ranks. They cleared out the position for him, handed it to him, and let him play without any fear of interruption. I guess is a good word to use because they've done so well and they haven't played him out of position. They just handed it over to him and let him develop. And it's one of the few instances that I can recall outside of a pitcher, a positional player, where they actually did this in, in this correct manner. Not Conforto, not anybody else. Outside, Well, maybe catcher, but, you know, that. Again, that's a, a a position which is an exception, like pitcher. The other position players, 
everyone winds up out of position. Everyone gets toyed with. Everyone gets yo-yoed. Uh, but they they never done that with Rosario, uh, and I credit them. And I also credit the uh, extra work that Callaway put in with Rosario on the side and how he's responded. And, uh, Sam, I'm just so glad you brought up uh, his play with uh, Team MLB versus Japan. Rich, why haven't they given Dominic Smith the same uh, leeway? You know, I wonder if the intangibles are at play here. You know, with his weight issues, with his showing up late last year, sometimes those things speak louder than than actual performance on the field. And so I wonder to what degree the organization has soured on him for the intangibles. Because when you look at it, you know, he really has nothing left to prove at AAA. He's had an up-and-down time in the major leagues. I mean, he... Um, he hasn't exactly knocked the cover off the ball, but at the same time, he's shown some power. He's shown some power the other way. Um, you know, this year he had 224 in in 149 plate appearances, so 224 over essentially a quarter of a season, uh, maybe pushing a third of a season of bats. So, so those are not horrible numbers. You know, 224, but he did show some power, and um, and. You know, the defense around the bag, actually, when he came up in 2017, it looked inconsistent to me. I kept saying to myself, yeah. where's this great defense this guy's supposed to have? But he looked much better around the bag. He doesn't belong in left field, and, and that's not his fault that they put him out there. So, anyway, long story short here, he hasn't really tanked in the major leagues. He hasn't been given a real shot. And he hasn't, you know, he hasn't blown the doors in in the shot he's had, but it hasn't really been a, a really – good sample size. I really believe, Sam, I really believe the organization has soured on him, and I think it's got to be the off-the-field stuff. I really do. So how do you, Mike, handle this situation? You know, we're talking about Pete Alonso, which I'm sure probably has something to do with with not handing it over to him. Um, You're also trying to win, so Sandy was was going with – the, the possibility that Jay Bruce could play at first base. Uh, and so they signed him back up. But, but what, what, how do you deal with the Dominic Smith situation since he's no longer getting any press whatsoever right now? I mean, you were talking about using Pete Alonso possibly as trade bait, but let's say they both go into spring training. Could you see there being a little bit of a battle between the two? A battle? No. <laughs> no, not a battle. The way I see this going down uh, is Dominic Smith winds up at Las Vegas uh, and ultimately gets exposed to waivers. Uh, and if he doesn't get claimed, he ultimately gets cut. That's the way I see this going down. Because you still have I think to that's a sound assessment. take into consideration, like you just said, that Bruce might wind up at first base, that if by some remote chance, Cespedes comes back, he might wind up at first base. So the Mets need to maintain a, a, a slight sense of flexibility at first base, uh, but they definitely know, need to go into next season with a plan, and I don't think that plan uh, – I don't think Dominic Smith factors into that plan very much at this point. Uh, if they can trade him and get something for him, great. Otherwise, I think he's destined to uh, – be exposed to waivers. Rich, let's go with that. Um, 
the the rumors going on as to uh, where Van Wagenen is going to go. What have you heard uh, so far? I know a lot of things have been kind of thrown out there, but you know there hasn't been much action, uh, of course, around the league. Um, so what 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 uh what do you think we're going to see from the the first off season of the Wagenen era? You know, Sam, that's a great question, and I. Sitting here right now, I can't say that based on what I've read and what I'm hearing that I have a feel for what he's going to do. If you think about it, he went out to see Pete Alonso, which would indicate, okay, you know, I'm hearing this is a, this is a guy. This, we have something here. Let me go see him. Okay. Maybe that means something. On the other hand, um, he's saying they don't need a catcher. You know, he's saying that they think they're in good shape behind the plate, which is a bit shocking. But, um, okay, uh, he's saying that. The Mets today, I read an article that they've been linked to Corey Kluber from the Indians, which I find, I'd say, shocking again, because um, it would I don't think the Indians are going to give him away, and, and the Mets seem certainly seem deep in the starting rotation. So if that's true, you know, why would you spend your relatively few trade chips there? Um, so, and then you hear Chris Bryant might be available from the Cubs. You know, some people are speculating, would that be a good fit, you know, Cindergaard for Chris Bryant? Um, but it's sort of like a bunch of random things that are coming out of his mouth and random actions to a point where it doesn't seem like, and, you know, I'd be interested in both of your opinions, it doesn't seem like a solid Van Wagenen plan has emerged. But let me know what you guys think. Mike, take it away, and then I'll, I'll tell you. Well, uh, two answers, really. Sometimes I don't listen to them at all. Sometimes they have to speak just for the sake of speaking because they get uh, asked questions. Uh, And, and, you know, the smart poker players out there aren't going to reveal their hands. Uh, You know, if I'm a general manager, I'm not going to come out and announce to the world, you know, my goal is to do this, that, and the other if it involves competing with another general manager. I can speak internally of what I might want to do, but as far as, you know, uh, the off-season and free agents and trade possibilities, uh, what can they say without revealing themselves? Uh, unfortunately, uh, part of the job description is having to speak when, you know, when, when, when you're faced with microphones and tape recorders in front of your face. So sometimes I, I just don't listen. Uh, a lot of times I just don't listen. I tune in when I think I need to. Uh, when something uh, is transpiring, and we should be listening, but and and not just in this instance, in this instance, but in many instances, when it involves managers, general managers, even players, they have to say something because that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, unfortunately, eight out of ten times, people ask questions that they know they're not going to get an answer four and and you have three or four or five people competing with you know who can rephrase this the right way to finally get at the root of of his thinking or her thinking you know what I mean so that's one part of me the other part of me is no Richie's actually right we 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 don't have a a sense of a a coherent plan just yet Uh, he might still be marshalling his forces for all we know uh, but no, nothing has come across the table that I would classify as clear and concise. I would agree with uh, you guys. There's, there, you, you know, 
at face value right now, um, he he's certainly confident, and I like the confidence. Sometimes with Sandy, he was a little too lawyer talk. He would be very he'd be very much, well, that's a possibility. Maybe that could occur, and he 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 was very much. He didn't want to get caught contradicting himself in any particular point. Uh, Brody is uh, an agent, is his former agent, which also uh, usually has a law background. So I, I think that, you know, you got to take what he says. Uh, you can't really necessarily take it at face value. But you, you, I think you guys both make some sound points regarding it in terms of he's not going to be playing his cards. He's not going to be showing his cards off uh, while he's trying to, uh, you know, he's trying to make a name for himself within the industry uh, that he's basically, he's negotiated with every single team. And now he has to make sure that he's not taken advantage of with people thinking that he's a pushover now that he's this new young blood within the general manager front office of the New York Mets. So um, I, I don't think we can really take anything away other than the fact that like we talked about hitting coach, Ricky bonus, and and um, some other little minor moves um, in terms of the front office. So yeah, I, I think uh, with that, that's basically that's yeah. I think we we all are pretty much on the same page about that. It's kind of an incomplete right now. There's no particular grade. Although, uh, like we said about the the um, some of the front office stuff and the coaching stuff, those were sound proper decisions of trying to get your eggs uh, aligned correctly um i'd like to go to something uh, off the air that we re- weren't able to really talk about and that is the hypothetical of the mets signing both machado and harper i think that would be a clubhouse disaster but i'm going to go over to you first rich on that one because uh, you know what my opinion is well <laughs> um that, that's a tough one because I think the odds of the Mets signing either are is those odds are pretty remote. Um, signing both, I mean, sure. Would it be a splash? Would it be a way to put the stake in the ground and say this is you know these aren't your father's Mets anymore? You know we're doing things differently. Sure. Would it absolutely shock the fan base and probably send you know shock waves through City Field and drive season ticket sales through the roof? It probably would. Um, but you know. I think realistically speaking, the Mets aren't shopping in the Bryce Harper, Manny Machado store. They're probably shopping in, you know, the next level down store at best. So I, you know, as much as it would be a way to really rock the baseball world, I I don't see it happening for them signing either, let alone both. I, I wish I could say something different. Mike, I think that if you were to sign Harper, I don't even necessarily want to talk about Machado because I, you know, we we've talked about this uh, last week with Machado how he, yeah, his his and I guess I'll just say this about him: his agents must have had an absolute fit when he said hustling's not really my thing. <laughs> think that, think that. Go ahead and keep that in your head, Machado. Um, but but I, I would have to say, if Harper were in play, you'd have to move Bruce. Oh, without a doubt. You know, and, and I propose that in jest. Uh, I still have 
uh, a, you know, a, a smile on my face thinking about this. It would, they would, in fact, pay for themselves. The upper deck would be donate, you know, would, would be their salary right there. They would pack the house. They actually would if they were to sign both. Uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Uh, would I do it? No, I wouldn't. But that being said, sure, they would have to shoehorn them both into situations and, and step on other people in the process, you know. But, hey, that's the, that's the price you pay for winning. Uh, I saw Steinbrenner do it throughout the 80s, uh, how he just shoehorned in star after star after star into places that none of them fit. Uh, but that being said, uh, do, I, do I want to see it happen? No, not really. I, I actually want anything to do with either player. But if they do, if they did, <laughs> it would be very interesting. And do I think they could actually contend for first place in the National League East just based upon those two players with, combined with the, the rest of the positional players and this pitching staff? Yeah, without a doubt. But it would morph into a disaster, I'm afraid. Let's loop back, actually, to some a couple points you made, Mike, uh, or just uh, bringing up some rumors. Um, Corey Kluber and Chris Bryant, Noah Syndergaard. Um, I think with the – and I'll go to you first, Rich. Uh, if, if they're linked to Corey Kluber, I think the idea would be that you had this five-headed monster, quote-unquote, that you only got to see once. Uh, at, you know, after all the hype over the last six years, you only got to see once, and then Matt Harvey got moved. Uh, and was also not Matt Harvey, the Matt Harvey we thought he was uh, at the time. Um, I, 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 so when I hear that, I think of them trying to shore up the biggest strength they have, number one. And number two, if you want to factor in the idea that you're getting – you move Todd Frazier to the bench, which is probably where he should be anyway, and you get Chris Bryant in there at third base, uh, who I think is a great player both on and off the field, um, then you you could turn around and use some of those those chips that you have, which they have a lot of chips, to trade for Corey Kluber, uh, you know, when it comes to the major league level right now. So, yeah, run with that, Rich. Well, it, it depends on the price tag, right? So it depends which one you would do first. So it, – it, the plan, of course, needs to be interconnected. So is the plan to go ahead and trade – of course, we're playing in way hypotheticals here, but um, trade one of the big starting pitchers to the Cubs for Chris Bryant. You know, so maybe it's center guard straight up. Maybe it's uh, Wheeler plus. So is that the plan? In which case, now you've weakened yourself in what was your strength, so you turn around and make another deal – using some of your, you know, minor league chips to bring in a Corey Kluber. So you still have a four-headed monster rotation because you traded one of the big guys to shore up your third base spot. So clearly there has to be an interconnected plan here. Um, Frazier, I, I think, would never be a bench player. I don't think they'd want to pay him to be on the bench. I think you could probably find an American League team to take him um, as a you know third base slash somewhat DH guy, you might have to eat a little bit of the, of the money, but it's only one year, so it's not like it's a uh, it's an enormous commitment. So would that be fun? Yeah, I mean, damn, you know, I'll take Chris Bryant in a heartbeat. Uh, the only people I'm not trading for Chris Bryant, probably the only person is named um, 
well, two people. I'm not trading Michael Conforto or Jacob DeGrom in a deal for Chris Bryant. Other than that, I'll talk about anybody on this roster and anybody not on the roster in the, in the minor league system to bring Chris Bryant here. And then, right, if it's one of the big pitchers and you could turn around and pick up an equally big pitcher like a Corey Kluber, man, I, I, I'm down. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all ready to do this. And then just find a home for Frazier. If you have to eat half the salary, these are the new Mets, right? The new Mets will eat half a contract and, and not like the old Mets. So that, that's where I am with it. Mike, uh, you, you mentioned some stuff. Um, what's your opinion about it? Well, I'm going to stay pragmatic. I, I think we don't have a sense of a coherent plan because 2019 is is going to be quiet. They're, they're already bogged down with guys we just mentioned, Frazier, Cespedes. Uh, what the hell is <laughs> I hate when Bruce. you talk Bruce, oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, right now we're in a situation where we're bogged down with that money, and they need 2019 to – you know, start clearing that away. That's why I think this is going to be somewhat of an inactive offseason outside of perhaps upgrading catcher, uh, and, and we all know they need uh, relief pitching. So, you know, transactions like this, I, I don't really see it. You know, if we're going to give up a starting pitcher and, and, and get Corey Kluber in on the back end of it, you know, that's just a lateral transfer. So I'm of the school, why do it? You know, unless we can get a Chris Bryant to something otherwise. Uh, in, in that respect, yeah, I would go ahead and follow through. But unfortunately, 2019 is is just going to be uh, a stall, a stall of the season because of that money. Once that gets freed up somewhat, I, I think uh, we'll see changes. But I think they're just trying to be quiet about it and discreet about it, not really go shaking pom-poms and, you know, uh, driving up expectations. Speaking of relief pitching, uh, I heard a rumor about Andrew Miller in the Mets. Uh, but, I, you know, Rich, there there seems to be some Mets fans hating on that. Why? Well, Andrew Miller's coming off a down year, and I think that that's fair. You know, to say, why would you want a guy who is on a down year? He's had a lot more injuries in the past two years than he's had before when he was absolutely lights out. You know, in that 2016 season when he was traded from the Yankees, he was, he was devastating. And before that, when he was a Yankee, he was devastating. You know, this is, a, this is not a situational lefty you're talking about here. You're talking about a guy who can be a closer, the guy could do basically anything you need him to do. And um, so I, I actually, I'm not hating on it at all. You know, I actually think it's something they have to do. Um, I, if, if he's out there and available and his price tag is down because of the season he's coming off of, you know, of some injuries, not quite as effective, as long as you could get a decent medical report on him, I think you've got to do it. You know, I think here's a guy, he's only 33 years old, right? Last year he was limited to 34 innings pitched, so, you know, clearly a lot of, a lot of injury concerns. Um, 31 hits allowed in those 34 innings. He had 45 strikeouts, though, in those 34 innings, so, and that's his game. You know, he strikes out lefties, he strikes out righties. So, yeah, I mean, is he getting a little bit up there in years? A little bit. Is, 
did he have some injury concerns? Yes. And so do I understand people saying, oh, hell no? I do understand it. However, I, I am convinced this could be the kind of bargain pickup that will enable the Mets to shore up a need, not break the bank to a point where they'll have some money to do some other things. So I'm all for Andrew Miller. I really am. Mike, if he's willing to take a one-year deal, I think it's a no-brainer. What do you think? That's my that that's my angle. Uh, I'd be more than willing to overpay somewhat to sign somebody to a one-year deal. Uh, I, there's nobody out there, as far as I'm concerned, worthy of a multi-year deal. No one. Uh, there's a long list of relief pitchers out there. They're a the free agent, free agent potential. Uh, none of them. I shouldn't say none of them, but relatively few of them are below 30, 31. Most of them are 32, 33 and above. Uh, so, you know, don't come looking at me for a multi-year deal. One year, I'm, you're more than welcome. Uh, so I'm okay with that. I think the Mets are going to have to search from within and and strategically develop relievers uh, as a matter of habit over the next two years. You both make uh, fair points about the uh, the whole thing. Um, moving on to another rumor uh, about a reunion, as Dribble Cabrera. I'd kind of forgotten about that rumor, but it just all of a sudden dawned on me. Um, Rich, you know, my opinion about it is that uh, if we're talking about a bench roll, as Dribble Cabrera could be excellent, excellent coming off the bench and and. You know, obviously they're supposed to have Jose Reyes for one more year, but we're not even really talking about him all that much right now. So what is your opinion on, on that? Would you uh, um, want to uh, pick up Estrubal Cabrera as a bench piece, or are you kind of like move, moving on? No, why the hell not? You know, I mean, I if bringing in a player who's been with you before makes sense, I, I've never been of the school to say, been there, done that, move on. Well, not necessarily. You know, if a guy still fits, why would you not? You know, he, he, he left on good terms. He, um, other than that one little incident in 2017 when he demanded or asked to be traded, I should say, he was generally a happy Met, a productive Met. And think about what you'd have. You know, you'd have a guy who – is in his, what is he, about 33, 34 years old, switch hitter, which uh, as a bench piece is enormously helpful. Um, he could play three infield positions. Again, major check mark. Um, being the good guy, obviously that's going to help, right? Being a good guy in the clubhouse, that's the kind of thing you want. Um, he would have a relationship with Ahmed Rosario, and he could help mentor him. Uh, we clearly, you know, Reyes won't be back to do that, so Cabrera could take that role. He has Pop off the bench. What the hell? I mean, if he wants to come back and he's going to accept the role and the price is right, why the hell wouldn't you do it? Mike, what do you think? I agree with Rich 100% for as long as he's coming off the bench and only coming off the bench. I don't want him... You know, I look, I'll sacrifice and, and let a kid develop there. I don't want th – this is the break I'm trying to make. So if he's willing to come here and come off the bench, solely off the bench, I'm happy to have him. But don't clog up this position uh, 
with another old guy is what I'm trying to say. It just happens to be him. I, I'd rather have this work out a different way. I want a new up the middle. I want a new catcher, and I want this thought process of a catcher, second base, shortstop, center field mentality uh, to come together for me. Uh, just as long as he's not in the way, I'm happy to have him. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, you know, it's it's just I think some some people just get too bogged down by this idea that it's all about moving forward. If if the old can uh, work in moving forward with the new, then I think that you have to. You have, I think the sleeper move that we're finally going to see uh, put together. Uh, this coming year is the Syracuse Mets and the AAA farm team that are that's going to be, I believe, the Mets farm team for uh, 25 years, uh, according to to what I, I the information I remember. Um, Rich, I'll, I'll start with you on this. This is a major deal, considering that they they they, they were making such and, and they they handled the fact that they had to deal with Vegas so poorly during that time. It just never made any sense to me some of the the ways they were uh, tooling with some of these players, uh, let alone their assets. And so, you know, it's 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 just going to be a little quick half hour plane ride that they can charter. Uh, it it's it's a sleeper move here. No, it, it really is. Um, it, it it will have an impact. You know, think about that that situation where a guy shows up at the ballpark at two p.m. And he's like, oh, you know, I think I, um, I may have a, a calf pull. And so they work on him a little bit. They have him run in the outfield. Now it's 3 p.m. It's not getting any better. And if, if your AAA team is in Vegas, forget it. You're playing with 24 guys that night. If your AAA team is in, is in Syracuse, you could say, look, you know, calf pulls are tough. We have a 10-day DL now. It's no longer 15, as we know. So we're going to put you on the 10-day DL, let that thing rest. You make the call to Syracuse. You get the guy down here. You know, it's a 45-minute flight, half hour, whatever it is. Gets to LaGuardia, gets to City Field, and you're playing with a full with a full complement of players. I mean, one thing that, just as, as an aside, that I think we all have been frustrated with as Met fans over the years is seemingly the disproportionate number of games that the Mets play spotting the other team a player or two. It's like, what the hell? You know, how many times do we have to hear, well, you know, this guy, they don't put him on the DL, but, but we'll play without him. And, and, you know, and it's like, what, they're playing with 23, 24 guys. What the hell is that? And if that could be corrected by having AAA in, in Syracuse and being able to get guys here, you know, on, on a minute's notice, well, then great. You know, why not? It, it addresses an issue. I'm, I'm really happy about it. Um, Rich took the words out of my mouth there. In terms of uh, Brody Von Wagenen and his background as a as a player agent, do you think he's going to be a little bit more cognizant about uh, being aggressive about DL moves? Being aggressive, you cracked up there for a second. Being aggressive about what? No, I, I'm wondering whether, like Rich was talking about, and it, it was exactly what I was about to follow up before Rich even mentioned this but how so many days they were so hesitant to, to put a player on the DL. And do you think that Brody Von Wagenen's background as, as a player representative, he's going to be a little bit more aggressive about protecting these guys and the assets that, that they are? 
yeah, there's something to be said for that. Uh, when you represent players, you have their best interests in mind. And when it comes to injuries, well, you know, there, there's, 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 there's much care to be taken. Uh, as a general manager, I'm sure this consideration is going to be first and foremost on his mind, considering, considering, and I'm sure he's uh, educated himself, you know, on Mets prior practice when it comes to medical diagnosis and, and follow-up and whatnot. So uh, I, he knows what he's getting into. I, I think he understands Met criticisms very well. Uh, how will he treat this? Very carefully. He's a smart man. And I don't think he's likely to get himself caught up in a, in a media snafu uh, anytime soon. I think he'll be able to cover himself. Uh, you know, but having Syracuse nearby is going to definitely help that because sometimes there were situations that arose where the Mets' hands were tied, uh, you know, without uh, being able to summon some summon someone from Las Vegas uh, in a timely manner. Etc. Uh, Etc. Et Sometimes that call up had to be made from Binghamton. Uh, now, lo and behold, they have their AA and AAA affiliates both in, same, in the same state. It's a it's a great move. Yeah, I agree. It's it's. Uh, I really look forward to seeing how that all plays out. Um, I'd like to move on to some off the field uh, logistics, and that is the move from. Uh, WOR to WCBS 880. Uh, it, it always sounds weird to me with both the 710 WOR move as well as the uh, the WCBS move, although, again, that also includes being able to partner with WFAN again in a better fashion. Um, but, Rich, you know, it, it's, it still seems weird to me that a, a channel that every 10 minutes cycles out the news and the weather is all of a sudden going to take a break and, and, um, and play baseball. Now they were doing it. I know they were doing it with the Yankees for a while, so this is nothing new to them, but you know, I think uh, the big, the big element of it is that the, the set, the most, the, the, the number one sports radio station uh, in, in uh, New York in the tri-state area, uh, WFAN 660 is now back to being a better partnership with the New York Mets. But, you know, just just start. let's start with what I'm talking about, how weird it seems to be that the news would take a moment just to, to listen to baseball. You know, you're right, but I would be – it would be more weird to me if the background weren't cut already, as you mentioned. Um the Yankees were on WCBS for, I believe, five years, and um, and they've already done it. You know, they they've they've demonstrated that, you know, they'll just when there's a game, they take a break from doing what they do, and they um, and they cover baseball, and that includes spring training, that includes pre and post game shows, it includes everything. So it's been done before for the other team in town. It could be done here, and you know, and, and let's think about this. You hit you hit the nail on the head, Sam. If you're a sports fan in the New York area, you listen to you listen to WFAN. You do, right? Um, whether it's for ten minutes in the morning, whether it's for you know three hours, whatever it is, you listen to WFAN. And it got really, really old to me that the that the Mets did not allow any players, anybody in uniform, to go on WFAN for five years. It, it got a little old at that point, you know, because 
here you'd hear all these Yankee interviews, you'd hear Aaron Boone, you'd hear this, that, and the other thing, and it was like the Mets weren't even, didn't even exist. And the WOR, they may have done their sports zone with Pete McCarthy and all that, but it was in very defined time segments. WFAN is a sports station, 24-7. So now you, there's a chance you can get a Mets interview at any time of day or night. You can actually hear the players on a station you normally listen to. And it, it just feels like it feels like a really bad thing has gone away. And, and it, you could sense by the passion of my voice, it really bothered me that we didn't hear a Mets player on WFAN for five years, and now we can have it again. So, um, so no, I'm thrilled. I think it's – I'm not underestimating this at all. I think it's going to be an enormous positive for the organization, for exposure, for feeling like they're a major league team in New York again, all of that. I, I think it's going to be huge, and I'm, I'm thrilled. I really am. I got to say one thing, and then I'll pass it over to Mike, about Wayne Randazzo. I think Wayne Randazzo, who's around my age, uh, uh, 33, uh, did a really fantastic job as as a pre-gamer as well as occasionally taking the place of either Josh or Howie. Um, and I'm not sure what his next role is. I haven't seen what his uh, his next step is in, in his career, but I, I got to uh, give him props. Uh, and his, his dad, his dad uh, Wayne Randazzo, is a junior. Wayne Randazzo Sr. is a really uh, a sound individual. And so I, I have to applaud Wayne for the job he did in the time that they were on WR. So, so uh, hip, hip, parade to him. Uh, Mike, you know, roll with that, everything we've just talked about. Well, the change of stations is going to bring into question, you know, employment issues. Uh, we are not sure if Josh Llewellyn is going to return. Uh, and I'm concerned about that because the man has grown on me. Uh, I enjoy him thoroughly now. I really do. It it took a while. Uh, it took took me more than a season to warm up to him, but I, I like him a lot now. And I want uh, our little piano man to stick around. He has a nice sense of humor. I like his personality. Harry Rose is, you know, uh, radio brilliance. What more can you say? Uh, and as Rich said, you know, WCBS, we're in good hands. They know how to run a good show. And, and as he says, and as you say, uh, we're going to have more access uh, to hearing some of our favorite players. You know, me, I'm not a, I'm not that big. I don't need that, but I think it matters to a different generation, a younger generation. Uh, baseball has the oldest fan base of the four major sports, and that's a big problem. So access is indeed a major issue, regardless of what I think and what I care for. As an older man, as a younger man, sure, I, I, I would have cared about that a lot more. Uh, but then again, we're talking about the age prior to the Internet, this and that and the other. Uh, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I just hope that Joshua Willen, uh, Willen sticks around. Uh, and for as long as the change is seamless, I, I, I think, you know, change will be fine. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, as I made the point about it, I almost forgot about the Yankees being on there for, for a while in terms of the news and breaking with that. But uh, I think, yeah, the most important thing to me is that Ed Coleman, and it seems like Ed Coleman will be doing the, the pregame shows again. And, again, giving props to Wayne, Ed Coleman is an institution of, of sports radio. So uh, I'm, I've always been thrilled with his coverage of the Mets. And it'll be nice to, to have him back uh, in, in whatever capacity they, uh, they decide outside of just uh, being a beat reporter. 
So before we get to our last word, guys, you mentioned it. You, you uh, said something about it uh, before, Mike, and it totally went over my head to bring it up. But catcher, uh, Rich, I know some names have been thrown out there, and, and you can roll wherever you want. Um, you know, I think we're all done with, with uh, uh, Travis Darnot, but it seems like they want to give him one more shot to stay healthy because that's really been the biggest issue. But what, what, what have you been hearing about uh, what they're going to do with catcher and um, how, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel, Rich? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, they need an upgrade. Mike's right. They, um, the catching position has been a black hole in this organization for a while now. And, um, and so, you know, Darno, he had his flashes. Yes, we know that. He also can't stay on the field. It's pathological with him. Uh, Ploiecki, as much as you want to like the guy, he's basically a 220 hitter with occasional power. And, um, and so they need something better than that. It, it, it's sort of um, contradictory, you know, very contradictory to have a team built on pitching and you, and you sort of plug and play with your catchers. You know, that, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. So, um, so I do think they need to do something in terms of what I'm hearing. I'm hearing the same things as everybody else. You know, Wilson Ramos is available as a free agent, as is Yasmani Grandal. Um, personally, I want no part of Wilson Ramos. Too many injuries. Um, he's, you know, he's just a big lumbering kind of a guy whose body is failing him. I'd rather stay away from him. I know he kills the Mets, but, you know, sometimes that's not the right reason to bring somebody in. Um, Grandal, switch hitter, you know, better hitter from the left side, but still a switch hitter. I'm a big believer in that. You know, you can play him against anybody. Yes, he looked like a butcher out there in the postseason defensively. Um, he didn't look great defensively, but you know, he's an accomplished catcher. He, he's an offensive-minded catcher, so I'd prefer him to Wilson Ramos. But even if both those guys don't materialize, make a trade. Just give me, give me a starting catcher. Give me somebody who can catch 120 games. And then we'll, you know, maybe Ploiecki as a backup. And I'm done with Darno. He, he cannot stay on the field. Yeah, I would uh, have to agree with you on all points. And I want nothing to do with Wilson Ramos as well. I think those knees are shot. Uh, Mike? I think I've made myself clear. I will forego batting average. I, you know, I don't care. He can, this person can bat 210 for me. I don't care. Scour the minor league. Scour AAA. Scour the nation for this player who's a good receiver and can throw base runners out and whom pitchers are comfortable throwing to. Find me that person in the short term, and I will be very, very happy. I don't need offense out of my catcher right now. Not right now. I'll get that from other positions. I I want a superior receiver. That's where my brain is at. You know, so do your homework, Mr. New General Manager. And if one becomes available, you know, in the waiver period, find him and claim him. Get him. Doesn't have to hit. Like I said, my priority is being a superior receiver, a defensive specialist, and somebody who can throw out base runners at least at a 30% clip. You know, maybe that's asking too much. But I want a receiver first and foremost. I'm not looking for offense. This year coming up, and maybe not even in 2020. You know, after that, I'll look to, to do something much more radically different. 
trust me. For right now, heading into next season, please upgrade the position of receiver, not even catcher, the position of receiver. Darno, done, done. And, and Ploiecki, you know, where is he in the dog days of summer? Where is he in May? He always finishes strong, but where is he for the rest of the season? That's his narrative. Done with that as well. So find me a receiver like Rich says we can catch 120 games, you know, and, and find me somebody else who's just as good defensively and have him pick up the slack. That's where my mind is at right now. I don't care about offense. I care about my pitchers and defense. Um, guys, I want to go down memory lane real quick. Do you remember in spring training 2013 when we were just going down the podcast road how thrilled we were with the power we were seeing from John Buck and Anthony Recker? (laughs) (laughs) You know, if I may jump in on that, I really like John Buck, and I'll tell you why. I mean, he played, you know, a bit over his head for those first few months when he was hitting all those home runs. But he was, to Mike's point, a solid receiver. He was a good catcher. And, yes, I mean, he had been a journeyman his whole career, and there was no good reason to think that he was going to be something other than that with the Mets, and they got something for him in the end, which is great. I was a big Victor Black fan. He was in the Vic Black trade but um, over to Pittsburgh. But, uh, but anyway, so Buck played over his head, but while he was playing over his head, He was a veteran, a savvy veteran. When you would hear him on the aforementioned WFAN, and he talked about pitching and working with the pitchers, you knew they were in good hands. And, you know, he he was hitting at that point. So get me a guy who could do what Buck did, but over the course of, you know, of a long season, and I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I I consider those all sound opinions about it. It, it, It's it's, we don't need a Yadier Molina uh, necessarily at this point right now, although that would be, you know, that would be a godsend if we could see that coming up through the, uh, the organization. You know, uh, Yadier Molina hit, what, 220 his first year, and nobody saw it coming how good he was going to be in the playoffs. And now he's going to be a Hall of Famer, uh, a forever Cardinal. So, you know, that is, it's once in a lifetime that that kind of stuff comes around. You need to have sound receiving, like you guys have been saying. So I'm I'm all for it, and there's no point in me wasting any more uh, breath on it because you guys uh, took the words right out of my mouth. And without further ado, we will segue to our last word. We've we've been uh, you know warming up, uh, 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 rubbing our hands together around the stove, talking some some hot stove baseball. So I'm going to go to uh, you, Rich, first with uh, with your last word leading into what hopefully will be some uh, some action coming forward. Well, my last word is two words, and they're very thematic for Mets fans. Let's go. Those are my words, and I'll tell you why. Because, you know, we've had the warm-up act. You know, Brody's new. He went to the GM meetings, a lot of talk about this, that, and the other thing, different things he might do, all that kind of stuff. Okay, fine. We've had our appetizer. We're ready for dinner. So let's go. Let's get down to business here. Let's start forming this team for 2019 and beyond. The talk is over. The grace period is over. They're very short these days. I want to see some action, and um, I'm ready. So let's go, Brody. Let's go. Let's let's do something to get this team ready to compete. Here, here, Mike. Minus creativity. 
Because like I said before, I think the Mets fans are pretty much tied entering 2019 for for financial reasons, contractually speaking. Uh, so, you know, this offseason, next season, you know, headed into the trade deadline and, you know, the following offseason, I think they're all going to be tests in his creativity to see what he actually can do and go out there on the market and affect. So creativity, what does he have in him that's going to change the status quo, so to say? Uh, I understand what he's up against. I'm going to be pragmatic about the upcoming season, and that's why I chose this word, creativity. Uh, he might have a trick up his sleeve. We don't know. But if he, if he can negotiate a 500 team, How about that? Huh. And I'll end it at that. <laughs> Mine is kind of my. I have three words, and it's kind of along the lines of what uh, what Rich said. Rev it up enough uh, of the 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 uh, the if if it's an eight course meal, I uh, I want to get to the fifth course already. So I'm I'm ready to go. I want to see what he's actually made of instead of all of this this chatter. And uh, not like you could have expected much uh, coming forward, but you know he's he's buttered it up. He's buttered the the rolls up a little bit. Now it's time for the uh, the pasta to be served. So uh, thank you, Rich, for the the uh, the food metaphors. I'm kind of hungry now, and uh, let's uh, let's go Mets as we always finish out with. So uh, without further ado, I thank you guys for listening in to our Metsian podcast, and we will catch you next time. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Rich, as always. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Let's go, Mets. Let's go, Mets. Take care, everybody.